Hey, podcast listeners, it's Mike. This week on the Upload Podcast, I've got some thoughts about change and how we can respond to it. I've also got a doozy of a story to share. It involves me calling the cops on a neighbor. And I have a preview of the weekend, which I will likely spend assembling a wooden fortress in my own backyard. But before I get to the story about me calling the cops, today I had a special delivery. It's honestly the largest pallet I've ever seen in my life. The guy tried to take it off the truck, and he couldn't get it off the truck. He pulled up in this big box truck, and he's got the, if you've ever seen the jack, like the forklift that you just pull across the floor. If you've ever worked in a a factory-type setting, you know what I'm talking about. But he couldn't even move it because it's like a 12-foot-long pallet. I've never seen anything like it. And it was full of boxes, which will eventually become a giant wooden playset for Eve. Now, I know what you're wondering. Why in the world did you buy a ginormous wooden playset? Well, you probably would too if you had the opportunity that we had. So Abby's aunt is uh, an HR executive at one of the companies that makes these wooden playsets. And so she told us, hey, if you guys need a playset, you can use my employee discount. That employee discount was huge, so we definitely took advantage of it and went ahead and got a really nice playset. It's going to be awesome. We'll have kids in the backyard all the time, and that's that's really what I'm looking forward to is, you know, Eve being able to play out there and sending her outside to play, but then also just having it be a place where some of the neighborhood kids want to play as she gets older. I think that'll be really cool. So before it gets to that point, though, it will involve a lot of sweat and tears, hopefully not blood. We'll find out, though, if, if it goes like any Grosier project. Um Sometimes there there can be blood. So uh, wish me luck on that. I will share pics on the Facebook page uh, when I'm finished and maybe in progress if I feel like it. Uh, another update, though, I also had was uh, if you are familiar with Stephen Barry, if you've been listening to the podcast for any time you've heard his name because he's been on the show twice. I've talked to him about the different creative endeavors that he's doing. Well, he and another coworker had a great idea to do this thing they called the Creative Empire Day. And so basically what it was about was to take a day off work and to just dedicate it towards creative side hustle type pursuits. And so I I joined them for part of the day. I had some meetings and things that I, I couldn't step away from the whole day. But they actually went to a library together and they just worked and they worked on the creative things that they wanted to do. So for Steven, that was the Jelly Beans cartoon that you might remember. And he wanted to get that off the ground as well as some other ideas that he had. He wanted to look through how he could fit those together. Um, Sierra, uh, she also she's listen, listens to the podcast sometimes. And uh, she was looking at graphic design and artistry and things like that. And so we talked about some of her goals and the things that she could do. It was really cool. I think they both shared that they got a lot out of it. And I think that if you are especially just getting started with a side hustle or if you've been struggling with keeping it going or getting fresh ideas, I think a Creative Empire Day is a fantastic idea. Get away from the office. Take a day that's a normal work day that's not a Saturday or a Sunday where all you want to do is relax. Take a day when you would normally be working and focus on your side hustle or your freelancing, whatever it is, and focus on planning. At least spend part of the day coming up with what is my strategy, what do I want to do, how do I want to do it, all that type of stuff that I talk about on this show all the time that you probably don't have time to sit down and do. Uh, that's the time to sit down and think through those things. And then they also just dug in and, and tried to do some of the work as well. And I know Steven shared that he has never felt more refreshed and more excited about his creative pursuits than he did after that day. So I definitely encourage you to try something like that. But I know the story you actually care about is why in the world did I call the cops on a neighbor? Am I that guy? Am I that guy that just sits around and says, they're playing their music too loud. I'm going to call the 
the cops on him. No, uh, this one was a little more involved than that. So it's been very nice here in North Carolina. The weather's great. Abby was working on Sunday, so I decided to take Eve out for a walk in her stroller and the dog with me, something I do all the time. Now, a little backstory, there is a neighbor around the corner, if you go a certain way on the walk, who has a chocolate lab that absolutely hates my dog. My dog's name is Chelsea. Hates Chelsea. So about two years ago, that dog attacked Chelsea while I was walking, but it was kind of a one-off thing. I just thought, you know, they didn't really know any better. We'll just keep them away from each other. No big deal. At the time, though, the dog was not on a leash, and this is kind of how... Uh, that neighbor likes to do things. They just keep this lab off a leash and uh, call the lab to them whenever I walk by. Usually not a big deal. That is until Sunday. So as I'm walking, uh, I come around that corner and I've got Eve in the stroller and Chelsea on a leash. And all of a sudden that dog comes flying off the porch, snarling, growling, barking. I try to yell at it and get between it, uh, Chelsea and the dog to no avail. Uh, It just jumps right on top of Chelsea. They start spinning. I've got Eve, but the dog slams into the stroller somehow. I still don't exactly know what happened, but somehow the dog hit the stroller and flipped Eve out of the stroller. So we've got one of those Bob running strollers. So Eve flies out of it and is landing face first on the pavement and the strollers on top of her. So at that point, I let go of Chelsea and I go and I, you know, pick up the stroller and I pick up Eve and I'm thinking, what the heck, you know, <laughs> what kind of shape is she in? Thankfully, she was just kind of crying, not loudly, not screaming bloody murder like they do when they're really hurt. But I pick her up and I just watch two balls of fur just flying around. And um, the owner's grandparent was there and he tried to break them up. And then finally, uh, one of the owners comes out of the house and is able to break them up after, I don't know, probably a good 30 to 45 seconds of them really just going at it, fighting. So I'm a little upset. Obviously, you probably would be too if uh, you just saw your daughter go flying face down on the pavement and your dog got attacked. Now, mind you, I live in the city limits, so we do have a leash law, and your dog has to be on a leash or behind a fence or tethered or something at all times. It can't just be loose. So I say to this neighbor, uh, I think it's time for you to get an invisible fence. And I expected the response to be, I'm so sorry, absolutely, we'll, you know, we'll straighten this out. Probably, you know, the, the kind of thing any normal person would do. But instead, the response I got was just to brush it off and be like, oh, no, no, whatever, you know, it happens. Um, and really, the other, the owner said nothing, just kind of stood there. And um, so I don't know, she, she could have been just kind of in shock about it or whatever. But uh, we kind of picked things up and I'm waiting for them to have any kind of response of, I'm sorry this happened. We're going to do something to fix this. Uh, Let me know if anything's wrong with your dog. Any of those kind of things? Nothing. So at that point, I'm really mad. But I decide, you know, I'm holding Eve. I'm like, this isn't the time or place. So I put her back in the stroller and I just kind of leave. And so we go back to our house and I, I start to check them out. And Eve seems okay. There aren't any problems. She's not like crying or holding anything until I noticed that she has a giant bruise in the middle of her head and a a knot starting to form, one of those kind of unicorn uh, bumps coming out. And I noticed Chelsea has a gash on her forehead right between the eyes, a a pretty decent sized one. It's not huge or anything that required stitches, but it looked like it might. I wasn't quite sure. And then she has another cut underneath her eye. So all in all, the Grocer clan is a little beat up, uh, a little peeved off, and uh, I just decided, I'm like, I'm just going to go inside, I'll figure this out when Abby gets home, 
uh, from work. I'll go over there and talk to them. But the more I started thinking about it and the way they responded, I was like, this isn't going to go well. I'm going to go over there. It's going to be confrontational. Things just, they're just not going to go well. So I decided to call the police. And uh, honestly, I just called the police because I wasn't quite sure what to do. I wasn't sure what the rules were or what I should do, how I should handle it. And as I'm describing the situation, the dispatcher says, all right, I'm sending an officer over. And I was honestly a little bit surprised. I was like, oh, okay. Um, But the more I thought about it while I was waiting for the officer to come, I was like, this is actually the the best thing that could happen. Because if the officer will go talk to them, then it doesn't have to be this big confrontation between me and the neighbor where I lose my cool and say something that I shouldn't say, all that type of stuff. So I did. The, the, The officer came over. She was very professional, very nice about it. We talked. And uh, she was very clear that, yes, we have leash laws. That dog should be on a leash. This should not happen again. And so I just asked her, you know, what if this does happen again? And she said, this shouldn't happen again. I'm going to go talk to him. I might give him a ticket. I might not uh, for this instance. But uh, if it happens again, call me and it goes to the next level, whatever that is. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that that won't be a problem. Um, The thing I'm most worried about at this point is honestly just that it's going to be awkward because it's a neighbor. But I just couldn't live with it. I, I couldn't live with the sight of my daughter face first in the road and my dog all cut up and bloody and just let that go. Like that just that just wasn't cool. I wasn't going to let it fly. Um, I just had to come to the point where I was, you know, I said, forget the awkwardness with a neighbor. If you knowingly do something stupid like that, like keep your aggressive dog off of a leash, then you've got to face the consequences for it. And so that's what I settled with. And uh, it, it turned out, well, uh, Eve is fine. Uh, for those of you who are saying, well, how is Eve? Uh, <laughs> I realized I did, didn't quite share that uh, as quickly as I probably should have. She's great. Uh, fun fact there, uh, one of the doctors, I did call the pediatrician uh, as well when I called the police and just asked, you know, hey, what should I do? Eve seems fine. And, and we talked. We talked over uh, concussion symptoms, and she didn't seem to have any. And so he told me some things to watch for and things to do. Uh, but one of the things I learned from a different doctor was if there's swelling on the outside, that's usually a good sign. So if you got that kind of unicorn bump, that means the swelling's going out instead of in. Uh, obviously, you should still contact your doctor like I did, but uh, it was just encouraging to to learn that. And to, and as the night went on, we realized that there wasn't a problem at all. She was fine. She just kind of had that bump, and she was scared and kept talking about stroller fell down, dogs fight, and you know all that kind of stuff. So that was fun. But she seems to have recovered and is completely distracted by the next adventure, which is potty training. So I'll probably share more stories about that in a different podcast. I'm sure there will be a lot of fun ones, but we just started that a couple days ago and uh, it's going fairly well. But as potty training goes, it's never, never totally clean or easy. But enough about me uh, as far as personal life goes. Uh, a couple things just to update you on what I'm learning and then we can get into uh, the change stuff that I teased at the beginning is um, what I'm learning is that change is constant with Scrum. So as I mentioned in a previous episode, I'm working in more of a Scrum, Agile type work environment right now. And it's very if you've ever worked in, in project management or in a style of work that uses project management, you're probably used to what they call waterfall, which is you plan out the whole project and you work through the phases. And yes, there's changes along the way, but the general structure is usually pretty set. And you kind of know who's going to be involved and what the deadlines are. And they usually move a little bit, but but things are pretty stable. <laughs> at least 
they are once you've worked in Scrum and you look back retrospectively and said, whoa, things back then were really stable because Scrum, the best I can describe it is controlled chaos. And, and sometimes controlled is a friendly word. Uh, I think there are a lot of benefits to it, but I have never worked in a work environment before that has so much change to the scope, the style of work, the people you're working with, the things you're focused on, just constantly changing. So just for example, I think I shared before that my current task is transforming the end-to-end learning experience for a certain program. At least that was our initial um, charter. Now that's been expanded from one to six, to six different programs, all with different content, all with different stakeholders and all of that. So that's a big task. That's a perfect example of what happens in Scrum is things just change constantly. You adapt, you react, and, and you move on. Well, very timely, uh, the new book that I started reading recently through Audible uh, is The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future, and that's by Kevin Kelly. Um, actually, sidebar here, before I get into that book, something I learned recently is Audible is a little bit deceptive. So I wasn't the only one. I confirmed with some other people, and I realized that they all thought the same thing. Is It seems like, especially the way they position it on the Amazon website, that you have to be a Audible subscriber to use Audible. And that's actually not true at all. You can buy any Audible book you want and listen to it through their app and through their platform. There's just some additional benefits to subscribing via Audible. So you get discounts on certain books. There's some uh, content that you can listen to through something they call channels. But what I realized when I was doing the subscription is I was paying 15 bucks a month and I get one credit for a book but a lot of the books I was buying or wanted to buy were less than $15. So I was like, well, why don't I just buy the book outright? And the other thing was I was not listening to a book a month. I just don't have that much time. If I had a longer commute, I probably would. But my commute right now is from upstairs to downstairs, which is fantastic. But it just means that I don't have that much time to listen to these books other than when I'm taking a walk or, or doing some other stuff. So uh, that's what made me realize you can just buy the books. So I just go on to Amazon now and I buy the Audible version of a book and I just use it the same way I would if I had the subscription. So if you've been interested in Audible but didn't want to be a subscriber, uh, you may want to look into that if you're interested in, in doing um, uh, audiobooks. But anyway, so in the book, uh, he talks about 12 technological forces, as the subtitle says. The first one is what he calls becoming, and it's all about change. And so this is where it was really relevant to what I've been experiencing, like I said, with Scrum. So I'm just actually going to read you the first two chapters. I pulled them up in the preview, and uh, I I think this will give you a good idea of, of what I mean about constant change and what becoming means in his book. So he says, everything, without exception, requires additional energy in order to maintain itself. I knew this in the abstract as the famous second law of thermodynamics, which states that everything is falling apart slowly. This realization is not just the lament of a person getting older. Long ago, I learned that even the most inanimate things we know, stone, iron, columns, copper pipes, gravel roads, a piece of paper, won't, won't last very long without attention and fixing and the loan of an additional order. Existence, it seems, is chiefly maintenance. What has surprised me recently is how unstable even the intangible is. Keeping a website or a software program afloat is like keeping a yacht afloat. It's a black hole for attention. I can understand why a mechanical device like a pump would break down after a while. Moisture rust metal or the air oxidizer membranes or lubricants evaporate, all of which require repair. 
but I wasn't thinking of the non-material world of bits would also degrade. What's to break? Apparently everything. So that's just a short excerpt. Uh, He gets into a lot more detail about what he means there, but I think the interesting part that he brings out there is that everything, it's not just a... Well, it's interesting that it is a law of physics that everything is degrading. It doesn't matter how permanent something seems. The giant granite in a skyscraper seems like it would never change, but according to physics, it is. It's, it's constantly degrading. So everything is changing in one way or another, and that applies not just to the physical world, though. And that's the point he's getting to about bits, is that it applies to technology as well. It applies to concepts. It applies to the bits and bytes and the things that that run our computers. And everything is moving in some sort of direction, whether that's a good one or a bad one. And maybe you felt that too. Uh, Maybe you've had a work experience like mine, or maybe that's been your struggle with your side hustle as you just think, I can't keep up. Everything changes constantly. You know, my uh, users change, the culture around me changes, the technology certainly changes that I have to use. And I think all of us feel that at one time or another. We feel like change is happening faster than we could possibly control or keep up with. So what do we do? Well, one of the things that he talks about in the book in that first chapter is that we're becoming perpetual newbies. So what he means by that is, in the past, if you were an expert in Microsoft Word, you could be an expert in Microsoft Word for quite a while. Because when you had Word 97 or whatever it was, a new version didn't come out for several years. And uh, if you think before that, even if you were, you know, using a typewriter, how long did it take for that typewriter to change? I mean, maybe they added a couple new features, but the basic skill of using a typewriter didn't change for a long time. But now, though, those types of skills or using a software program or being proficient in anything, it changes constantly. Just think about your Facebook page. And actually, speaking of Facebook, I'll put a clip out there about being perpetual newbies. I'll put it on the Facebook group. So look for that at the uh, the Upload Podcast Facebook page. But constant upgrades and constant change is just normal now. Think about your Facebook uh, app or your Instagram app. How often do you open that up and either it's a completely different color scheme or the buttons have moved or the settings have just flat out changed and something that you used to do, you can no longer do? Do you remember when you used to be able to, with one click, change how your news feed on Facebook works and it could be in chronological order? Can't do that now. They decided to make a change and now that's filtered to Instagram and Twitter and everyone else is using the same style of algorithms. And I bet in just a matter of months, that'll completely change again. They'll have some other way of filtering your news feed. So that's just an example, but I'm sure you can think of plenty of other ones that aren't even technology related, but there's just things that are constantly changing. What you expect to have happen again just doesn't happen. Your car buying experience, the way you bought a car last time is probably not going to be the way you buy a car the next time. And uh, he also mentions that the cycle of obsolescence is increasing as well. And I think that's something you've probably heard, but maybe you just haven't spent a lot of time thinking about Think about how quickly your iPhone becomes obsolete or some other piece of technology. It's really rare that something sticks around and is valuable as is for a long period of time. So that's a challenge not just for you as a user, but for us as makers of things as well. How do I deal with the fact that something that I make or something I put out there has a pretty short shelf life? It's probably not going to be relevant two, three, five years from now. It might not be relevant two, three weeks from now. So what do we do that? Uh, he talks about 
the um, need to stay relevant by change ourselves. So I think one of the things that we can do is to have a positive attitude. It sounds simple. That's, that's probably, you're like, did I listen to this whole episode for that? There's, there's more points coming, but I think this one is actually really important because at least in my experience with work, I have noticed that those who do well in a changing environment are those who have a positive attitude, just generally. Not just about the thing that's changing, but they just tend to be positive people and usually they're positive about change as well. But what I mean by that is not assuming the worst about whatever's changing. So you could look at your Facebook app changing and say, ah, oh, that's the worst. And I was I was this way uh, definitely when they changed my newsfeed. If you couldn't tell, I had a little angst there. But in general, when my apps change, I assume that they're changing for the better. Maybe they're changing and it's frustrating for me to be a newbie for a little while. But being a perpetual newbie, if I can keep up with it and if I'm intentional about it and I go with it with a positive attitude, it benefits me. These people aren't doing things to make my experience worse. They're doing things to make my experience better. So when some tool you use or some uh, service you subscribe to or whatever it is, when something changes, we just have to be careful about our attitude and keep it in check. Because if you become a cynic about it or become super negative about it, chances are you're going to miss the boat and then you're even more of a newbie or maybe you're just irrelevant at that point. So positive attitude is important. Similar, it's important to have a loose grip on things. So what I mean by that is you cannot be dogmatic about which technology or which approach or which style of anything is the best. You just can't. You can't say that iPhone is the ultimate smartphone and it always will be. It won't. <laughs> I know that's probably hard to believe, but the iPhone came out 10 years ago. How long do we really think that it's going to dominate the market? If you just look at technology, just look back the last 15 years, what were we using 15 years ago that today is still the industry standard? It, it's hard to think of anything, right? So don't joke yourself or don't kid yourself about some piece of technology or some approach or some tool that you use that it is the end all be all and it always will be. If you have a tight grip, you're likely to miss a fantastic opportunity. Maybe there's a new type of smartphone or something even beyond a smartphone that's going to be a game changer. If you're too locked down on that iPhone, you'll miss it. And that could be true to anything. You could apply that to whatever you want. If you have your grip too tight on something, you're likely to miss a beneficial innovation, a beneficial change um, that you should let go of the previous thing and, and grasp onto. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is... Um, one, I don't, I don't normally talk about my faith uh, on the podcast because this is more a, a podcast about creativity, but I think this one's actually important, especially when we talk about change. Um, I think right now we're in a state of change that's not just about work, it's not just about freelancing and things like that, but um, even just culturally, politically, however you want to look at it, we've got change all around us, and that can be disorienting. It can be the type of thing that spins people into depression. It can be the kind of thing that makes you feel like you don't have a lot of hope. So in that case, I feel like it's important for me to share why do I have hope? Why do I have hope? And one of those things uh, is that I don't define myself based on what I do or what I've done in the past. And so uh, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And I find my foundation in that. I find my foundation in who Jesus is and who he said I am. And uh, that way I'm able to look at changing circumstances 
and put them in perspective. I'm not looking internally to say, who am I? And am I true to myself? Because when I look inside, I find that it it would be hard to be true to myself because I don't know who myself is, first of all. And I seem to change an awful lot, just like the environment around me. And I can't really trust myself because the things that I tell myself and the things that I do don't really match up with the things that I want to do. So my firm foundation lies outside of myself. And so I just encourage you with that, that honestly, I know that there's a lot of stuff out there with culture right now that says it's all about be who you want to be and that type of stuff, which is great. I'm not at all saying that you shouldn't be yourself and and uh, you shouldn't express yourself the way you want to. But I do think it's a bad idea to find your foundation, to find who you are in yourself. And so I'll just leave that that way. But um, I just couldn't let that opportunity go by without sharing why I have hope, even when things seem hopeless. It's because I see things in a different way. I look at things from an eternal perspective instead of from a temporal immediate perspective. So when things are changing around me, they don't seem as dramatic or as scary because I'm looking at a longer term perspective. I think uh, the final point I I just want to make about uh, what can we do about constant change is to take advantage of it. And I think I've mentioned this before that one of the ways as a small person, and I mean that as you're not a giant corporation, but as a side hustler or a freelancer or an entrepreneur, one of the ways that you can take advantage of change is that the big guys aren't really great at it. You've probably noticed that they're slow to change. They have a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucracy. Yes, they have money, but it's hard to get the purse strings loosened up to use that money. That's one of the biggest challenges executives have is how do they get people to respond to change? I know that. I work in a big company and I hear it constantly. But you can respond to change constantly because you're in charge and you can call the shots and you can make a sudden pivot if you want to and you can go a completely different direction. You can also take risks that someone much bigger can't take. You don't have as many stakeholders as they do. You don't have an entire board probably looking down on you and judging every action that you take. You don't have investors who are looking for quarterly results. If you're uh, independent and you're a creative professional, you can take some serious risks on innovation and taking advantage of a new change in the environment, a new change in culture, a new change in technology, whatever it is. You can take a risk on it. So I just encourage you with that. uh, Have a positive attitude. Keep a loose grip. Find a firm foundation and take advantage of the opportunity. All right. Well, that's all the time I have for this week. As always, if you have any questions or comments, stories, questions, I'd love to hear them. Feel free to post them on the Upload Podcast Facebook page or just send me a direct message. And you'll also be able to see the show notes for this and previous episodes at MikeGrozier.com. But until next time, I hope you take a risk and move from dreaming to doing. 